if you hadn't been uh, around here during Advent, we've been using some of uh, the best known or um, kind of a mix of, of better known um, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, to guide our Advent expectation and devotion. Uh, this evening we'll uh, we're looking at a little town of Bethlehem, which Nell uh, sang so beautifully for us. On Christmas Eve of 1865, Phillips Brooks, I love that he's got an S on the end of his first name, he's the rector of Philadelphia's Church of the Holy Trinity, and he rode horseback from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. As he rode, he overlooked the field outside of town where they said the shepherds watched their flocks, where they saw a star, where they ran to see and tell. Still some 1,900 years later when he was out there, Brooks saw the shepherds doing more of the same. They were an unlikely bunch, keyed into salvation coming in a quiet corner. Or maybe they were the most likely bunch. They were the most knowledgeable and adept at their place. They were the ones with nothing but time on their hands. They worked the night shift. They shepherded their flocks on the hillsides. They gazed at stars. Maybe they were struck by their simultaneous smallness, but also their place in such a vast universe. They practiced undistracted vigilance over their flocks at a leisure pace. Their eyes were trained to see, their ears trained to hear. They'd seen those stars every night. So when a bright new one showed up, they took note they recognized it. They followed it. Uh, one theologian, Oliver O'Donovan, once said that love achieves its creativity by being perceptive. Love achieves its creativity by being perceptive. And I think this is true. I think it's true of God, who is love, in an amazing act of creativity, chose to love perceptively and in strikingly fine detail. I also think it must be true of us. If we're going to be impacted by God's love, which is often hidden in plain sight, if we're going to be uh, reaping the fruits of this love personally, but also if we're going to join in on this love to and with others, we need to develop eyes and ears, hearts and imaginations that have been formed by Advent waiting, by preparation and expectation that look not only to the skies, but also to the streets for God's Spirit's redemptive work. Over this year, I've, uh, as I've befriended more and more folks from 
this neighborhood, especially some of my friends who don't have jobs or don't have homes, as these folks have become more and more central to the life of Oak Church, I've realized that we have some of these shepherds in our midst, those who are perceptive, who pay attention, who know the streets, who know names and faces, who shepherd others and know when someone's sick or hurting or making hurtful decisions. I'm learning a great deal from these folks. I'm learning how to see when God is showing up, where God is showing up, to whom and in whom God is showing up, where the Spirit is breathing new life, salvation, hope, healing. Back to our story of our horseback pastor Brooks. He was so inspired by his five-mile trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem that a couple years later he penned a song for a children's Sunday school class called A Little Town of Bethlehem. Songs like this are crazy to me. Like the Beatles catalog just just came on streaming and, and like Beatles songs are crazy about that for me. Like they're so simple, but they're so good. Like the, that's what good pop music is. And, and so I'm, I'm braced by a song like this is the, the song Sing Song Simplicity, but how dense it is in telling this gospel story of the incarnation. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence that when Brooks sought to tell this story about how hopes and fears of all the years are met in a little middle eastern town, that a kid's song, right Sophie? A kid's song seemed most appropriate. Israelite children were well healed in this hope that God might intervene and save their people from exile and from occupation. That God might renew his covenant with his people, even though they've broken that covenant more times than you can count. That in the middle of this like sick cycle, if you read through the Old Testament, you see it, this cycle of disobedience and exile, of repentance and redemption, that there might be some intervention some crisis, an inbreaking, a collision, because Israel could see that she was on a downward spiral and needed to be knocked off of that destructive path. She was participating in the very thing that was killing her. She heard her prophets tell her the way out, and then she killed them rather than changing her life. God's people didn't need to be guilted into an exile. They need to be woken up out of the exile that they were already in. They were in darkness, groping around in need of light. Israel hoped for the kingdom to come. And it was coming, but if it was going to come, it was going to come to a child, in a child. And I think Israel's a, a microcosm of all of humanity. Abraham's children are Adam's great, 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 great grandchildren. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
if this story, if our story is ever going to change, God's going to need to fix it. It's, we're going to need the creator to, to recreate it. We're going to need the Lord and giver of life to re-enter into the picture, to walk with, to be with humanity in the way that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And at Christmas, God has chosen to walk in Bethlehem's dark streets at street level. Little town of Bethlehem. Not Rome, not Athens, not Pompeii, not Jerusalem, not the capital city or a power center, but in the margins. So I think place matters. In, in Christ, God is redeeming places, particular places and particular people. We're not talking in generalities here. This is not abstract. This is what fuels our life and ministry in the neighborhood here. This is what gets me excited about 2016 and ministering with y'all through Oak Church. That God has placed us at a physical intersection. Chapel Hill Road, there's street signs there. You can see it, it, it exists. Chapel Hill Road and Bivens and Jersey, that little five points there. He's placed us at this physical intersection to experience and to bear witness to his intersection with us, God in humanity. In Jesus, that he's reconciling the world through Jesus. And that in reconciling the world to himself by becoming flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood, that's Eugene Peterson's John 1.14, in doing that he's resourcing us, he's calling us to a ministry of reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation springs up and spreads like, like mustard seeds or spreads like leaven, spreads like kudzu. And I'll tell you, this has to happen in small ways, in small intentional ways. It doesn't happen by accident. Where we see little openings and little opportunities to live sacrificially with our neighbors. Silently, unexpectantly, but consistently and thoughtfully, faithfully. Not through strength, not through force, but through meekness and hospitality. There's that line in there. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. When God chose to enter in through the gift of his son, he worked that salvation slowly, allowed it to mature over time. You can't rush these things. So often, my expectation is to have some sort of highly effective, impactful, fully hatched experience, like with people that I can tell them about. Or maybe you're getting ready to go home with family and friends that you haven't seen in a while. And you have this pressure to like regale them with some sort of foolproof witness for God, for God's grace. Like there's some sort of magic bullet for when we see our neighbors at the mailbox or, or you know, that 
we might suggest and they'll just taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to share this good news. That we might bring God with us to bear with other people. But instead, God shows us through the birth of Jesus that he'll launch his rescue of humanity in and through weakness. That his plan will take time to mature and grow in and through patience. In and through endurance. The birth of God. The birth of God is one of those concepts that I think we've grown far too comfortable for our own good. Take a second and consider how paradoxical that concept is. That God might be born. Perhaps that's as strange as Jesus' later you know, conversation with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. And that's the point. Infinity has chosen to become small. That's a scandal to us. It's so hard for us to, to limit ourselves and to make choices, to commit to a particular people or place, to be okay with risk and limits, to curb our fear of missing out on some hypothetical big thing that we could be experiencing if we didn't limit ourselves. But God isn't afraid of missing out. God isn't afraid to choose. God isn't afraid to be specific, to be concrete. God chose Abraham to start a family. God chose Bethlehem to make a home with us. A nondescript little town. Ingrid last Sunday reminded me that it was called the House of Bread, the city where Samuel found David, God's chosen one, when he, he was the last pick from Team Jesse. Do you remember that story? And tonight we celebrate that in Christ, God has chosen each and every one of us to know him, to be reborn in him, to be filled with the Spirit, to make room in our hearts, in our homes, in our imaginations for Emmanuel, for God to be with us. That's like the best preposition, God to be with us. Not over or above or against us, not apart or away from us, but for us and God with us that God will walk with us in real places, in real situations, that he's with us in our real relationships, no matter how dysfunctional they are, with our real friends and our real families, our real neighbors, our real enemies. God is with us. That God is with us in our grief and in our Hardships, he's with us in our temptations and in our hurts. He's with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. God has chosen to show up and he keeps choosing to show up. So tonight, Eric lit the Christ candle, which we've been preparing for in these previous four weeks. We've been waiting and we've been hoping for a coming. Even as we wait and we hope for Christ to come again, 
to judge and to justify, to renew and to restore. But we also pray and we wait and we expect for Christ to come between those two comings. For very real, mundane, but no less marvelous advents, comings into our lives every day. So we pray with the song, Come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the good news. The good news that you concern yourself with us. The good news that you do that in flesh and blood. You show up. You have, you will, and you do. And we trust that. Help us be ready to meet you. Help us expect it. Help us live our lives betting on that. Give us patience. Give us endurance for the way that you're going to grow that in us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you include us. We thank you that you understand us in Christ, that you know every thing we go through or could go through, even unto death. We thank you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.